0: this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach. I'm excited to share a new episode of our podcast with you. Today, you're going to hear from Coach Jesse Scott. He's currently the head football coach at Wheaton College in Chicago. He's married. They have a little daughter, Evelyn, an incredible man of God with incredible wisdom and, and passion for using the game of football to build into the lives of young men, building them into mighty followers of Jesus. I can't wait for you to hear from Coach Scott, so let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Jesse. You bet. Happy
1: to be here, Stuart.
0: You bet. So um, i like to start this off with some background information, so if you don't mind, just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe uh, where you grew up, a little bit
1: about your family growing up, and then in your family today. Sure. I I come from a a family of four. I'm from north central Pennsylvania, originally the middle of nowhere. We are four hours from Pittsburgh, three and a half hours from Philadelphia in the mountains. I have an older sister, Katie, five years older than me. And then my parents still live in my hometown of Blasburg, Pennsylvania, was originally a coal mining town. Um, we were an hour from a movie theater or a mall. So getting outside was our activity to, to have fun growing up. And we would do a lot of things outside.
0: That's awesome. And tell us a little bit about your family
1: today. I know you're married. Sure. My wife and I have been married for almost six years now. Her name's Aubrey. We met at church here in Chicago, and she moved here for a job in 2012, we got married in 2014 and welcomed our daughter Evelyn to the world last fall in the middle of football season on a Tuesday afternoon. I missed about the first 40 minutes of practice, was pacing around um, the delivery room, and my wife just kind of looked at me and said, go. So uh, <laughs> the doctor told me I'd be able to make it back if I was back by a certain time when I was back by that time, but was still able to, to coach a, an hour and a half or two work of practice that day.
0: Wow. And we'll talk um, a little bit more about your coaching here, here in a moment. Let me ask you about your faith. Um, did you, your family growing up, did you grow up in faith, a family of faith? And then at what point did you realize that you need
1: a personal relationship with Jesus? Yeah. I, I come from a family of strong believers. My, my parents have encouraged me to love the Lord every day that I've, I've been alive. And, obviously that that's looked different as life has moved along. I would say that I, I gave my life to Jesus when I was five years old and I had a, a really elementary understanding of what the gospel was at that point in time, but knew that, that Jesus had died on the cross to save me from my sins. And, um, the way that has resonated in my life has evolved that, that looked different at age eight. It looked different at the age of 12, at the age of 16, at the age of 20. Uh, but that, the, the fundamental reality of understanding that has been rooted in my life for a while that's
0: awesome and I, I, I agree with that if you grow up I grew up in a church like that and I know my faith obviously looks different in different stages of life because the understanding does grow and that whole discipleship process So I can definitely appreciate that um, from growing up around it as well And we'll get back to to faith and then we'll talk about um, your your football and then we'll get into some coaching. So you played college football there at Wheaton. Um, So talk about the process that led you from Pennsylvania to Wheaton College here in Chicago
1: for football. Yeah, sure. Interestingly, my sister had looked at Wheaton when she was considering colleges back in 1999 and I, I came with her on a visit in the middle of the summer and she was a socialite and campus was empty. So when she realized that, she ex Wheaton off the list immediately. But a, a few years later, around the my junior year, uh, 2003 into 2004, my dad was paying a lot of attention to the success of the, the football program at Wheaton. That season, they were coming off of a, a quarterfinal run and my mom and i went out to visit in april of 2004 i sat sat in our then head coach's office mike swider talked with coach swider for about an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half and knew that wheaton was it for me Mm. we provided an incredible opportunity to to receive great education to play incredibly competitive small college football but to do so in a community of people that were going to encourage me to love jesus with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And and that was something that appealed to me immediately. So that fall I I applied early, was accepted early, committed by December 1st, and the rest is history.
0: So talk about graduating in 2009 in the finance um, background and then feeling a call back into football and the coaching
1: So in 2009, I converted to a full-time position out of an internship with the McTeague Financial Group, a a Northwestern Mutual subsidiary here in Chicago, and thought that that was going to be my career for the foreseeable future. A decade, too, was my, my thinking at that point in time. And it's incredibly clear to me now that that was part of God's sovereign plan for my life. The organization is exceptional. I learned so much through the course of my time there, Uh, but in February of 2010, I had a a strong realization and that was not it for me. At that point in time, I did not think that coaching was it either. I knew that I absolutely loved Wheaton football. I loved my experience in the program. And if I could give back for a short amount of time before I found the next job in the, the business world or in finance. I wanted to do that. And so I went to our head coach and was begging for a part-time opportunity. In our first conversation, he actually told me, no, there wasn't a, a spot. Uh, but about six weeks later, right at the start of spring ball, I got the, the call to come be the assistant to the defensive line coach. Uh, so started started um, at the, the bottom and have been a part of the program for the last 10 years. But I would say that it probably took about 18 months of being officially involved in the program from a coaching perspective to for me to realize that that might be it. Uh, in fact, in December of 2011, I, I went home for Christmas break. I was working the majority of the day in a, a local public high school. I was talking with my mom and, and she shared with me that she'd been praying that I would be the next offensive line coach at Wheaton. And I told my mom, I asked my mom to please stop praying that par- prayer because I didn't think that that's what my future was going to hold. And by the end of January, immediately after that Christmas, I was actually the offensive line coach at Wheaton and in a full-time capacity, and, and the rest now is history.
0: Wow. That's incredible. So you've only coached at Wheaton, right? I have. And so you recently, in the last several months, been named the, the head coach there, which is a big deal. Um, so I want to ask you about what it's like to to coach at their alma mater. Uh, do you feel any... And he added pressure because for those that don't know, I didn't know until we visited um, four or five weeks ago when you were down in the Dallas area that, I mean, the success of the Wheaton football program. You know, a lot of people aren't aware how
1: successful you guys have been. So, so talk about that. Sure. I, I think there's two components to that question that are important that, that – the love that I have for my alma mater and the Wheaton football program from a, uh, an alumni perspective just drives a passion to continue to be involved in this program. I, I would say that any challenge comes in replacing our, our former head coach, Mike Swider, who was on staff for the, the previous 24 years. Coach Swider is the person outside of my parents that I, I've spent as much time as, with as anyone in my life and I have an incredible amount of respect for him. And so my my conviction for the future of the program is that while I I don't wanna change anything, we're going to to do a few things differently just by virtue of the fact that my personality is different from his. I don't wanna touch the core values. I'm not gonna touch the mission. Our program's motto is living life without regrets. And I, I want that to continue to be central to what the Wheaton Football Program exists to be about. And that prevents this transition from being about the end of his legacy and the start of mine. It it makes the program and the mission of the program central through all of that.
0: Makes sense. So, I mean, Wheaton is very strong Christian university, very, very strong foundation, and there's no apologies about that. So talk about, and I know that means a lot to you, obviously, but talk about what it's like to, be the had football coach at a Christian university, like from a discipleship standpoint. Because, I mean, I know to apply there, you have to talk about your faith, write your testimony out. But obviously, clearly on a football team, not everybody is at the at the same spot, if you will. So, talk
1: about um, you know that from a discipleship standpoint. Yeah, when we're recruiting players, we we want to know that they're passionately committed to growing in their relationship with Jesus. And that means that sometimes we're recruiting guys who have known the Lord for three to six months before they arrive on campus for the first time. And sometimes we're recruiting guys like you and I that were that grew up in a, a household where they were encouraged to love Jesus from the, the day that they were born. Our primary goal as a program is to develop the character of our players for professional success and gospel influence. And so that determines all of what we do. There's a lot of support structures in place to encourage and challenge the, the growth of our players from a spiritual perspective. But Stuart, the primary reason that that happens in our program is because of who we recruit and what they want out of life. Wheaton's an incredibly conducive place to spiritual growth if you want that, but it mm. requires that our, our players are proactive in the development and the growth of their faith, that they're going to get involved in a local church, that they're going to spend a ministry, that they're going to be active participants in their small group. And so a lot of that starts with the recruiting process. We can create structure like crazy, but it requires that our, our players are, are excited about participating in that structure. occur. Okay.
0: I like that. I like, I like the way you said that. I and mean, you're, you're seeking recruits that have that desire. Yep. Yeah. Not just it's greater than, I know they all say it's bigger than football. I get that. But, you know, you're wanting kids that want to grow spiritually as well. That's, that's important. Um, is there any challenge, you know, because Wheaton is a university that draws students from all over. So from a recruiting standpoint, I know it's not regional like a
1: lot of small universities. So what are the challenges that go along with that? Yeah, I'd say one of the biggest challenges, we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, was when yeah. you go south of the Mason-Dixon line, and it's January or February, it's hard to convince kids that Chicagoland in the winter is not that bad. Uh, I remember visiting Dallas just a couple weeks ago, and it was 35 or 40 degrees out, and I was freezing, and so a kid from Dallas who thinks that Chicago is way worse than that, it's hard to get them over that initially, but generally speaking, we've not had a great issue with that. Um, Our our players love their families, just like everybody loves their families, and sometimes being a long way from home um, can put some strain on that. So, uh, ultimately, we talk about college being one of the the biggest decisions that a young man makes in his life, and we were firmly convicted about the type of opportunity that Wheaton and Wheaton football offer, and the distinction that that opportunity is, so that requires that you get on a plane and come here from California. So be it If it requires that you come from Fort Lauderdale or Miami. So be it do what it is that God's calling you to do, because he's calling us to step out in, in faith and trust his will for our lives. And, and when he's calling, there's a reason.
0: I like that. I like that. I mean, it just, yeah, it's, it just shows that prayer is the central um, part of the decision. That's good. So let me ask you, I mean, like this is strictly a football question. Um, a lot of, you've seen a lot of good athletes come through there. So any athlete that stands out, just pure athletic ability, just stands
1: out to you? Yeah, I think about two guys right away. So in 2014, I coached a young man who was our starting center named Spencer Clark. He ended up being a, a first-team All-American on our, our undefeated conference champion team. Spencer played with an unbelievable tenacity about him every single snap and we periodically have some recruits who are a little bit undersized come through and ask about what it takes to play on our offensive line. There have been years where our guys are averaging 6'2 and 6'3 and 285 and 290 pounds but Spencer Clark was a a stubby nubby in there at 5'11 he would say six foot but he wasn't at (laughs) 5'11 255 pounds, and just his desire to assert his will on the line of scrimmage every snap and his passion for the program and his team propelled him to do exceptional things. And I think about another young man named Matt Sneedbold who ended up in the Atlanta Falcons rookie mini camp after his senior year, who came in on day one and struggled to get out of his stance on time. There would be times in training camp his freshman year where we would pause the film, and he'd still be sitting on the line of scrimmage after the quarterback had the ball in his hands. And Matt made so much development over the course of his time involved in our program. It says a lot about him that he was an All-American by the end of his career and that ultimately then uh, we we're evaluating him in their their mini camp. So and he made wow. tons, tons of progress and, and was uh, a really special player for us athletically.
0: That's, that's a cool story. This next one's more from the spiritual side. and I, I hesitate asking this sometimes because I know coaches have a hard time narrowing this down because of the impact that you guys have, But and you don't have to name names on this one, but is there an athlete that just stands out that you know without a doubt you saw God really use you in their life?
1: Yeah, I, I think about a, a player that's been in our program relatively recently who comes from a, an, a home environment very different than, than yours and mine, who I, I think arrived at Wheaton thinking he understood what the gospel was and, and that being radically challenged for him every day of his time at Wheaton. And I, I like to think that I played some small role in his development over the course of his time in our program, but his growth has been absolutely off the charts just in his understanding of what the gospel is and his desire to to live a life that glorifies the Lord. So uh, he's one that I I know I've played a role in his development. Uh, I remember a lot of conversations in our office, just learning about what faith is, what it means for him, and, and challenging what the assumptions were upon arriving at Wheaton and having a lot of conversations like that over the course of his time in our program.
0: You know, I added that question in the outline a long time ago just because I, I just know that it's just a good reminder to anybody listening, but especially coaches listening, that, you know what, the impact is huge. Even when you don't think you're having an impact, it may be 10 years later you get a text message, you know, that they, there's something. And, I, and I've had a number of guys tell me that on, on the podcast that, you know, they'll get that text message eight or 10 years later, and, and it's something that's so profound. A kid has been radically changed, and they point back to that seed that coach planted. Yeah. You know, so that's always that's kind of one of the reasons I, I love talking about that question because it's just a reminder, and it's to, to nine coaches that you know what we're all in the seed planting business. You yeah. know, and you know we got to let God do the work, but it's we you
1: never know what somebody's going through when we encounter them heard from a lot of players when I was named the the head coach here and and one was exactly along those lines that I I never would have imagined that he took as much from our relationship in his time at at Wheaton as he did and it's one of those things where you got to be faithful in planting those seeds and trust that that God is going to mature those seeds as he sees fit and we're not in control of that but it's our duty to be diligent in planting them. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let
0: me ask you, how do you balance it? Um, the demands, because the demands are high for any coach, um, especially now, now a head coach. How do you balance that with being a husband and a dad?
1: One of the first things that I try and appreciate is the, the, the fact that the job is a little bit cyclical, that the fall is very different than the summer. There are demand. There are a lot of demands, obviously, in the fall, in the thick of recruiting season, during spring ball. But Christmas break, spring break, this summer provide a different pace. So we try and take advantage of that as a family as we're able to. Um, I, I remember one time that it was a couple of training camps ago. I had invited my wife to join me for dinner. It was a, a Tuesday in the middle of training camp. We had a, a window from. <laughs> 5:45 when practice ended till about 6:45 or seven o'clock when meetings were to pick back up. and uh, I walked out of the dining hall. I'd gone in just to, to grab some food and had forgotten about that and saw my wife sitting on a, a chair outside of the cash registers just waiting for me. And the, the look that we exchanged in that moment, I, I knew that uh, I had disappointed her. I, the fact that I had forgotten was embarrassing. And even though there's a lot of time demands to the season, uh, it it doesn't excuse about that and the the importance of that relationship and and where it should exist in terms of priorities. And and so I had lost sight of that in that moment. And that served as a good reminder to me to make sure that even if it's a, a half hour a day of interaction, an hour a day, dinner date night on Thursdays, whatever it is during the season to make sure that I I carve out that time with my wife. And That's all. Yeah.
0: That's a, that's always a good, a good reminder for all of us to no matter how busy we get that our priority is our family. Absolutely. And that's always, um, can be a challenge. Um, so let me ask you, um, from the standpoint of being a believer, and I, and I know being at a Christian university is probably not um, as big of a deal, but there's, you know, the last year or so, there was a lot of talk about coaches and profanity. So how do you, I'm not going to go down the profanity road really with you. I want to ask you, how do you balance coaching? Um, you want to coach excellence. So which requires coaching a kid hard, but there's but there's a line. Of coaching, and then it becomes degrading and tearing down. So, as a believer, how do you model model that coaching a kid, demanding excellence, but yet not not crossing that line?
1: I've been encouraged a lot of times through the course of my coaching career that the, the ratio of constructive comments to critical ones should be about, or positive comments to critical ones should be about three to one. And I don't know if that's an exact and scientific ratio, but that's been something that I've tried to adopt as a a football coach. I've tried to be positive a lot. 75% of the time, three quarters of my comments to My players are are very positive, um, endorsing their effort, endorsing the way that they're doing things, and then spending the other quarter challenging and, and critiquing the way that they're doing things. And the reality is for us, if I've if worked with the offensive line for the majority of my career, if in the offensive line, we've got 18 to 22 guys in a, a given year, I'm, I'm going to need to, to coach to 18 to 22 different people. And, and that doesn't require that I deviate from the standard at all. You get what you tolerate. And if you tolerate bad habits on Monday through Friday, you're going to get bad habits on Saturday. So there's no sense of tolerance with that. But the way that I talk to our starting center is a little bit different than the way that I talk to our starting right tackle and the way our starting right tackle takes a little bit different than the way our starting left guard takes. And so adapting that, whether it's in the the context of the offensive line or in the context of the offense, I, I try to know who it is that I'm coaching, the way they operate never change what that standard is or be tolerant. Um, but make sure that I'm, I'm working to, to adapt in a way that's most conducive to who they are.
0: That makes sense. And that's, you know, I'm sitting here thinking as a dad, that three to one ratio really kind of hit me, hit me pretty hard because it's easy for me to flip that and uh, give them one and positive three negative, even at home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so that's it. And, you know, I've got three kids. And so, you know, what you said about the offensive line, I, you know, something i constantly try to remind myself and I fail more times than, than not is that what works for one doesn't work for the other, you know, but my, the way my brain works is this, this, you know, you do the same for everybody. So um,
1: I wrote those things down it can be it's easy to do that with your best players and sometimes it's easy to justify that ratio being 5 to 1 or 6 to 1 with your best players and then to want to justify it being the opposite with your youngest or most inexperienced guys but we try hard to 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 uphold the integrity of that ratio with even our, our youngest players or most inexperienced players it it helps them come back out to practice on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday with the right mindset that they're there to get better. It helps them enjoy it uh, as opposed to feeling like they're always under someone's foot. Um, But we we try and make sure that we're doing that with everybody. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I love that. So this next one is about,
0: um, I'm going to ask you about the role of sports. Um, Very, divided culture, whether it's race, religion, politics, socioeconomics, but football has a unique ability, sports in general, but football especially, to, to allow where there is um, division to tear those walls down. So how have you seen, whether it's playing or coaching, football play the role to kind of tear down some walls? I
1: think it has a lot to do with purpose and when you when you walk into our locker room you like i'm sure a lot of other locker rooms you you see kids from all different backgrounds all different areas of the country all different home lives experiences with the church and faith and encouragements or discouragements related to those things and when we have a program like ours with a group of guys that are bonded because of their relationship with jesus it it just levels the playing field in a great way, and then we get out there, everybody's wearing the, the same shoulder pads, wearing the same helmet, going to go about their work. It, it creates a sense of unity that might not exist otherwise. Uh, and so we, we see a lot of those things go by the wayside because we the players who are so committed to football, who love our program so much, um, that, that their focus is on that, their, what they have in common, as opposed to what's different about their experiences.
0: I like that. I like that common goal because that's so um, resonates so much just inside the church as a whole. You know, if we just focus on the common goal of loving God, loving others, you know, living out the gospel, we could even tear down some division that exists inside the church. Yeah. And that's why I just think football just provides that beautiful analogy. It does. Yeah. Just that common goal. And so many times we get hung up on the stuff that really it's not that it's not important, but it's not, it's not the main thing. And we let that even inside the church spiritually, we let that um, hinder the gospel going
1: forward. And that's us achieve church big C achieving that, that, that common goal. And what we realize is, is as we prioritize that, that goal, we keep the the cause of the the football program, the cause of Wheaton football central to our players experience. It gives space for those conversations about what's different to occur Mm -hmm. And it it does so in a way where those things are accepted and appreciated rather than than sources of difference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So what would you say to a coach or student athlete that's listening that um, understands they have a platform with athletics and that is a believer and really wants to use that platform
1: um, to be bold in their faith? How would you encourage them? huge thing that I want our players to understand is that when we when we think about worship, we we generally gravitate towards what's happening on a stage on a, a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. We think about the guitarist, we think about the vocalist, we think about the drummer. And when we're sitting there in the congregation, it's obvious that that individual is using their, their talents and their passions to glorify God. And in the same way that that individual is using their talents and passions to glorify God, I want our players to understand that. Talents and the passions that they have to play this game at a high level are equally capable of being glorifying to God, as countercultural as that might seem. And so, we want to endorse that with our players that that by virtue of maximizing the passions and talents that He's gifted them with, as long as they keep their desire to to glorify God central to why it is that they're. In, uh, they're playing this game then, then they are glorifying him in that way and that gives them a tremendous platform that endorses excellence encourages excellence in a lot of ways mandates excellence mm-hmm. uh, but, but makes the, the focus about something greater than themselves. That's good you know as you're talking
0: about um, the analogy of the worship um, I just wrote down as you're talking about that analogy then using our talents to glorify God that our everyday life is worship, you know, because that's a lot right. of times it's, you know, it is, it's, I get stuck in that trap. And when I hear the word worship, I think of a style of music or what we do on Sundays, but it's a lifestyle. Um, but
1: so often we get it kind of get it a little mixed up. The beginning of Romans 12 caused us to count our bodies as a living sacrifice. And, and that's not asking for some or one or some small portion of our lives. That's right. for All of it and what we decide to do even in the the context of sport is included in that when we are doing it. Right.
0: That's right. So let me ask you, um, you know, some people have a favorite life verse or scripture. Let me add, you know, I was gonna ask if you had one, or is there one that God's really shown you recently that you'd share?
1: Yeah. So one that's been resonating a lot with me recently comes from James. Um, Nothing about this coronavirus stuff and, and moving to a, a virtual uh, way of operating a football program was in the first year head coach's contract. It, was, it wasn't in anybody's contract, but uh, this wasn't something that, that was expected in in any way, shape, or form. And wisdom is a word that's coming to mind for a lot of people right now. And in the first chapter, chapter of James, um, it says, if, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And, and that, that part of it is really simple. And then the, the next part of it is the part that I find really challenging, and that's, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. But the man who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And the challenge in that verse is to not live with our our foot our, with our feet one in a, a world of faithfulness and one in a, a in worldliness, but to be wholly surrendered to to um, our relationship with, with our maker and, and to to really trust. In that moment, with everything that we have. Uh, and, and that's when we arrive at, at wisdom. And so that's been something I've been thinking a, a lot about recently. It, it challenges me to be wholly faithful, not partially faithful. Being partially faithful as we seek wisdom is really easy, but being wholly faithful in a, a moment like this, in a, a, a situation where society is the way it is, is a, a great challenge for all of us and, and something that. God is calling us to that's a good word I
0: love that I love that scripture and I, I go to it often um but but you're right I bet um I, as you're talking about you know what's what's not in your first year contract I wonder how many people have that gone to James 1 in the last two weeks you know uh yep. there's 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 a lot there that's good good stuff all right so we gonna close it out with a uh, uh, kind of a practical question um, two words in sports, all in. Everybody knows what it means. It's on chin straps, wristbands, T-shirts, all over. But it's also in the Gospels. You know, Jesus talks about, you know, if you're going to follow me, you got to deny yourself selfless. Um, so what does that look like on a
1: practical sense, maybe on a daily basis for you, Jesse, to be all in in your walk? There were two. I've shared this story with our team recently. There were two Arctic explorers back in the early 1900s named Roald Amundsen and Robert Scott and um one of the the explorers decided that in his pursuit of the the south pole he was going to let circumstances dictate what he did every day so if it was stormy outside he was going to stay in the tent if it was gorgeous he was going to walk 50 miles and the the other team um decided that they were going to walk 20 miles they're going to get out of the tent regardless of of what was going on around their lives and and that's something that i've challenged our players with and 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 challenge myself with recently is to, to get out of the tent, regardless of what the circumstances around you are, in March 20 miles every mm. single day. Our, our faith and our walk with Jesus isn't one that we can put on the back burner, burner on Monday and then get caught up on Tuesday, that we can skip on Tuesday or Wednesday and Thursday and then revisit on Saturday or save it all for, for Sunday morning, it, it, it's one that requires our our daily pursuit of, of Jesus and relationship with Him, and that's appropriate to, to every moment of our lives and, and keeping that up for of. Me. That's good stuff. I like that. I
0: like I like that story and the way it all, you know, you t- tied it all together. Good stuff. Hey, um, I know um, even though things may seem slow with what's going on in the world, I know it's still a hectic time. So thank you for taking some time to, to share your story. And I know I've been encouraged. Um, I've been looking forward to this one since we met and had coffee six or eight weeks ago. And so um, very encouraged. And, and I know those listening have been as well.
1: It's a pleasure to be here with you, Stuart. I enjoyed it as well.
0: You bet. Thank you again to Jesse for taking time to to share his heart, to share his story. I hope you got a glimpse into the depth of this young man. Just an incredible man of faith, um, not to mention a great leader, a great football coach, husband, dad, but most of all, just a, a mighty follower of Christ. As I look over... Um, my notes. There's so much here, but just a couple of things that stood out was that life is worship. The talents, the gifts that God has given us are there for one purpose that's to glorify God. So we need to maximize those talents and those passions in whatever we do. He talked about from James 1 5 through 8 to be wholly faithful, to walk with Jesus every moment. Of every day, that every day requires constant daily pursuit of Jesus. It's every moment of every day. So thank you again to Jesse for encouraging me. I know I'm encouraging you, and I'd ask you to share this with somebody. If you're not a subscriber to our podcast, whatever platform you're using, click the subscribe button. God is uh, doing some mighty things to this podcast of. Um, so many previous episodes would encourage you, but there's so many more coming. There's so many folks in, in the world of athletics that have incredible stories. And God is allowing us to record those and to share with you. So thank you again for coming on this journey with us. Um, I'd love to hear from you. You can communicate with us um, on our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org. Or on social media, go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, type in All In Sports Outreach. Send us a message, find out who we are, why we do what we do, opportunities to pray for us, to serve with us, and to give. Um, Again, thank you for your support, your encouragement, and your prayers.